Somebody once said, either the Bible is absolute or it is obsolete. Well, I certainly concur with such a statement and every blessing to you all. And welcome back to my glorious and somewhat windy open air pulpit. Please go to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. It was Pope Gregory the 15th of all people who would say that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And it was Pope Leo the 13th that would grant indulgences to Roman Catholics that would read the Bible and yet my Catholic dictionary from 1961 made the uh, following statement, quote, not all Catholics are expected to read the Bible, close quote. So, straight away, if you are a Catholic or if you are a student of Scripture like I am, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, if you are a lay historian, when it comes to looking at church history, you are somewhat perplexed because you've got two popes, Gregory the 15th, Leo the 13th, both seeming to commend Catholics for studying the scriptures and on top of that Leo granting an indulgence, which if you don't know means time off purgatory because Catholics believe that if they don't die in a state of grace, or if they don't confess all of their sins to their priest before they die, they can't go straight to heaven. They have to go to a place called purgatory, a torture chamber, which of course doesn't exist, but it has allowed the Catholic Church to make a lot of money over the centuries. And you've got Catholics praying to get their loved ones out of purgatory, and you've got priests performing masses all over the world. <coughs> and it continues to keep the whole thing moving along. And yet, if you speak to Catholics, depending on which, of course, the chances are they will ridicule the scripture. And I'll discuss that later this morning. Genesis chapter 11, look at verse one, if you will. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. This will take place during the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and that also is attacked and it goes back to what I said last time that the chances are if you meet people who don't believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ or the deity of the Holy Spirit the chances are they will attack the rapture and the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and on top of that if you come into contact with Seventh-day Adventists or Messianic Christians they like to speak in favor of the Sabbath and they like to attack Sunday worship and they say well the Catholic Church chose Sunday being the Lord's Day and you stupid Christians who break bread every Sunday like yours truly don't you know they say that the Catholic Church are guilty of changing the Lord's Day from Saturday to Sunday and you'd be amazed how many people fall for that statement and yet when I read my Bible and this past Sunday by the grace of God I was able to finish Exodus chapter 12 it took me five Sundays 
over two and a half hours to methodically go through uh, chapter 12 and join me this Sunday please when I start chapter 13 but as I was going through chapter 12 over the past five Sundays I was able to go to the New Testament and show very clearly and quite simply how the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead the first day of the month being a Sunday of course the early church met the first day of the week being a Sunday of course they broke bread took up a collection being the first day of the week of course and the Holy Spirit third member of the Godhead came down from heaven seven Sabbaths after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and he rested on the Apostles so Pentecost was on a Sunday Christ was raised from the dead on a Sunday and the early church met every Sunday you'd be amazed how sly and seductive Satan's lies can be and a good number of people well intended no doubt are now no longer worshipping on Sundays they've switched to a Saturday I remember some years ago uh, meeting a good saved family online in America pre-millennial pre-tribulational I hope they still are and some years went by and I hadn't heard from this decent family in America and then maybe three or four years ago I got a comment left on Facebook from the husband father of this family and it was a very brief message just saying praise the Lord good to see you James so on and so forth and I responded to this brother's uh, comments went on to his channel because didn't get a response after a few days and it said uh, such and such believes in the Sabbath such and such believes in the uh, feast days such and such is a believer in the Torah and I thought what a shame he's now gone back under the law and is also kicking against Sunday observance breaking of bread so on and so forth now just for the record you don't have to break bread on a Sunday you have liberty in the Lord read uh, Romans chapter 14 sometime but strictly speaking historically speaking the Apostles the early church would break bread every Sunday so I don't see any reason uh, not to do so I see no reason not to follow that scriptural uh, standard but for a good number of people like I say they get saved and they start to visit SDA websites and they come into contact with uh, messianic believers so on and so forth and very quickly and very easily they cross the streets and now they are very anti Sunday being the Lord's Day uh, worship and they want to go back under the Sabbath but of course that is up to them two and it came to pass as a journey from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there being modern-day Iraq so straight away 11-1 11-2 you got a group of people uh, spreading out coming together and they find one particular spot and they want to park up there for a while they want to uh, stay as a group and if you think of the ecumenical movement today referred to as churches together in the UK they are very keen to all come together I remember back in 2005 after the 7-7 terrorist attack and all of the religious people from the Catholic Church the Church of England 
Seventh-day Adventists, the uh, Salvation Army, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, I mean everybody possibly under the sun was represented. It was at uh, Trafalgar Square, I seem to recall. And they all came together, they all linked arms, and pretty much said, we are one, we stand as one people, so on and so forth. And go back to 9-11, I remember seeing uh, the Clintons at Ground Zero on the news, Bill and Hillary, and some Muslim guy got up and started to give the Islamic call to prayer. Now the wind is picking up, somewhat fortuitously. <laughs> and people were very emotional to listen to this Islamic call to prayer. And again, we are one people. We all come together as one people. And the Lord said, really? But here, whole earth, one language, one speech came to pass as they journeyed from the east. And yet Matthew 2 says they came from the east in search of the king of the Jews. Found a plain in the land of Shinar, Babylon, modern day Iraq. And they dwelt there. So let's all come together. Let's all hold hands. We are the world, sort of a thing. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly, thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime, had they for mortar. Let's build ourselves a church. Let's build ourselves something that we can be proud of. Now in the context, this is going to lead up to the Tower of Babel, meaning confusion. And that's why the apostles, all men, incidentally, and maybe some of their associates, all men, incidentally, spoke in tongues. Acts of the Apostles as a sign of judgment against the Jews. And they said, verse 4, Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. <coughs> and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. We want to have an identity. And that's the buzzword for today. Do you have an identity? Are you pro the transgender movement? If you're not, you are considered a hate monger. Are you a black man? Are you an Asian man? Are you a Scot? Are you a Welshman? Are you an Irishman? Do you know something? If you live in the UK, if you are a white heterosexual male and you love England and you are proud of England and you have the English flag flying outside of your house, did you know? that people think you are a racist? And did you know that if somebody was to report you for, fly, uh, for flying the St. George flag <coughs> outside your property, the chances are busybodies, do-gooders from the council will come to your property and ask you to take the flag down because they see you as a racist. They see you as being against society. And yet, if the flag was a Scottish one, no problem. Northern Ireland one, no problem. A Welsh one, no problem. The flag of Jamaica, Barbados, France, Germany, what have you, no problem. But if it's an English flag, get it down, you are a racist. And they said, go to, let us make us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. Man wants to reach up to heaven. Like I said last, uh, last week, 
all religions, and I mean all religions, are all trying to reach heaven via their works. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So it's like safety in numbers. It's like let's all come together. We are one. We don't want to be spread out, which is what they were told to do. And this goes back to churches today. 7-7-2005-9-11-2001 and when somebody dares to stand against the uh, movements of the ecumenical uh, movements or the current gatherings of churches and religions together they are shunned they are forced out and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded the Lord Elohim, the Lord, Jehovah. I was doing some street work not long ago and a guy walked over to Patrick and myself and he gave me a 15-page letter, 15-page dossier. <laughs> and I thanked him for it. Didn't say a word. I mean, he just walked over to where we were standing and gave me this document. And I said, thank you very much. And he turned around and walked away and I thought what a bizarre thing to see somebody do to you know have to experience and I went home opened it and it was 15 pages about the name of God names like El Shaddai uh, Jehovah Shalom Jehovah Nissi uh, El Gabor Jehovah, Elohim, Yeshua, Jesus. I mean, the Lord has many names, Adonai. And I thought, what a strange thing for somebody to do. And what he was saying in essence is this, is that my Bible, the King James, cannot be trusted. You've got to go back to the Hebrew, back to the Greek, that's what they say. And I thought, now let's get this straight, let's get this straight. If I wasn't standing on my usual street corner, giving out tracts, as we are accustomed to do at our ministry. Would this guy, very concerned about yours truly, would he come over to someone like myself, or would he go up to a man at the bus stop, or a woman in the supermarket, and say, excuse me, sir, excuse me, madam, can I give you this dossier? It's very important about the name of God, I'm so concerned for your welfare. Of course you wouldn't. And this is a strange thing, isn't it? I was speaking to a chap on the streets. Every Sunday we have our service, as you know, we break bread. And after our service, we go onto the streets to give out tracts and speak to unsaved people. And maybe 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, one of our Sunday afternoons, we were in town giving out tracts. And I spoke to this guy, maybe 23, 24, 25, and he was searching, shall we say, and I spent, I think, two or three Sunday afternoons, maybe half an hour each, uh, each afternoon, speaking to this chap, so an hour and a half, shall we say, giving him the gospel, trying to answer his questions, trying to explain why he needed to repent, and what the new birth was all about. And for maybe six months or so, I didn't see this guy, and then one Sunday afternoon, he came over to Patrick and I, and I said, hey, how are you? And we shook hands, 
and I said, uh, you know, how are you going? How's it going? What have you, you know, what have you been up to? He said, well, I've now got saved, and I said, praise the Lord, and I'm going to such and such as church, <laughs> and I thought, now where was that good old church before you were saved? Why weren't they on the streets doing what we do? Once this guy got saved, he found this church, went over, joined them, and now he's there every Sunday and probably Wednesday and Thursday night tithing, uh, part of their group. But where were they before he was saved? And the answer is absolutely nowhere. Going back to this strange guy trying to straighten me out when it came to the name of the Lord. But here the Lord, triune God, came down, and I mean came down, to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. So the Lord is very interested as to what goes on concerning his creation. He's not one of those indifferent, passive, sort of absent gods like Baal back in 1 Kings who just sat back whilst his followers were cutting themselves. And old Elijah is mocking them, laughing at them, saying, what a bunch of buffoons you all are. You are worshipping this uh, deity. I think from memory, Baal was the rain god. And they had this competition, Elijah and the Baalites. And after a period of time, Baal remained silent and Jehovah literally consumed Elijah's uh, sacrifice. So much so that Elijah said, bind them. 450 of them. And of course they were bound and executed. And the Lord said, verse 6, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Every imagination of man's heart, Genesis chapter 6, was evil continually. Now, if you're saved, you are saved, and praise the Lord for that. But be honest with yourself. If you are saved, you still have a sin problem, don't you? And before you get all upset and uptight with me and start to become uh, dismissive and argumentative, if you don't believe me, just ask your husband or your wife. Ask your children. Ask your mother, your father. I mean, just ask anybody who knows you. And they will tell you that in maybe five or six seconds, where you still have many shortcomings and where you still fail to control the tongue, perhaps. Maybe you like to gossip. Maybe you still swear. Maybe you blaspheme occasionally. Old nature, you see. But here, man's heart is wicked. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. Going back to one and two. And this they begin to do. Uh, this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them. That's a terrifying thought. Nothing will be restrained from them. If you think of Ephesians 4 and Romans chapter 1, it speaks about uh, from Romans 1 how man uh, becomes reprobate. He gives himself over to a reprobate mind. He strays from the Lord and also from Ephesians chapter 4, it says how the Lord then gives people up to their sins. And maybe slightly wrong, it may be Ephesians 4, they start by giving themselves up, and then Romans 1, the Lord gives them up. When the Lord gives someone up, when Almighty God literally just turns his back 
on a person, then they are finished, ruined. It's like somebody once said, the worst thing that Almighty God can do is just turn his back on someone and allow them to do their own thing. But here, the Lord, five and six, triune uh, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they are speaking to one another. I uh, want to go down and restrain them because their imagination is evil continually. Look at verse seven. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the father is speaking to the son, the son is speaking to the father, and from the book of Isaiah, you've got seven conversations recorded by Isaiah concerning conversations between the father and the son in heaven. Eight. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build a city. So they wanted to build a city. They wanted to reach heaven, their own vain and a wicked way. Going back to John chapter 10, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. And there is something about mankind which is very religious. You have to go to university in this country or college in this country to be educated out of being religious. You have to be taught evolution. You have to be taught to become a Darwinist. You have to be taught to become an atheist. Nobody is born an atheist. Nobody is born a Darwinist. Nobody is born believing in evolution. You have to be taught that. You have to be uh, indoctrinated with such beliefs. Going back to most Bible seminaries will ridicule you if you are a King James Bible believer. And that's why a lot of Christians, if they do go to Bible seminary, are very careful what they say. Nine. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So people say this, they say, but you're kicking against unity. And we are trying to make this a better world. That old cliche which is so worn out and yet they still use it. Vote for me. I'll make this a wonderful town. Make this a great country. I remember long before Brexit, British politicians would say, we have to be in Europe so we can lead Europe. Listen, you can't all be leaders in Europe. If you are on a ship, there's only one captain. If you are on a plane, there's only one pilot. You may have a co-pilot, but there's only one pilot. There's only one captain. If you have an orchestra, there's only one conductor. And people said, we've got to be in Europe. We've all got to come together. And Britain has to be at the vanguard leading Europe. You can't be at the vanguard leading Europe. The French and the Germans, they are calling the shots and they are very much driving and controlling the European Union. Go to John chapter one. So man, if he's unsaved, is a menace to himself and others. And even after he is saved, the chances are he will still want to do religion. Going back to my old friend in America who was premillennial, pre-tribulational, and had a passion for the lost, had a desire to win souls to the Lord. I'm not sure he was ever a street preacher. 
uh, like I am, but I think he meant well. He was a decent guy and his family seemed, uh, seemed to be decent. And now, very sadly, he has strayed into legalism. He's now very much into the Sabbath, the feast days. And he would say, Sunday worship, James, it's all pagan. And he would say the Church of Rome invented Sunday and no doubt he will cite some of the SDA sources that credit uh, Constantine for such a switch. But it's like this, it's my belief that sometimes uh, those of us which are saved give the Catholic Church and others too much credit. I mean even Satan is limited. He's not all-powerful. He doesn't understand everything. And that's another reason why the Lord spoke in parables. Going back to eat my flesh, drink my blood. It wasn't just to stop unsaved and enemies of the cross uh, kicking against the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was also to, first and foremost, brief his apostles, which he would do later when all the others had gone home, like thousands of Jews. But it was also to stop Satan from knowing too much like need to know. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, look at verse 48. In fact, look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael come unto him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. What a wonderful thing to hear. Behold, a faithful Jew, in whom there is no guile, Old English for deceit. It would be nice if he was to say that about me, and you, and those of us which are saved, he would never say that about Judas Iscariot. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered, and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. I saw you, and by the way, I am Almighty God, El Gabor, El Shaddai, Jehovah Shalom, I am the eternal God, there's only one God, there's only one Saviour, and I am that God, that Saviour. A great fact to once again reaffirm the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet that is also constantly being attacked. Nathanael answered, and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, Thou art the king of Israel. He would say that before Peter would say that, going back to upon this rock, I will build my church, meaning upon your uh, proclamation, upon your act of faith in me, I will build my church. And of course his church is his very body, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The rock, of course, is Christ. But here, Philip quite rightly recognizes the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And he calls Jesus Christ a rabbi, which Matthew 23, Jesus said, call no man rabbi, without exception. So don't call rabbis rabbi today. He would say, call no man master, like without exception. So out goes Master Mason. And he would also say from Matthew 23, call no man father, like Holy Father, like Father such and such from the local Catholic Church, and he would say, no, Father is out, Master and Rabbi is out, because you have one Father, which is in heaven, 
and one rabbi, which of course is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as far as masters are concerned, no, you're all servants. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. So the apostles were obviously privileged. They would see the Lord Jesus Christ. They would walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture which says, uh, how the just shall live by faith, Romans chapter 1, wouldn't be applicable to them because they didn't need to have faith to believe. They saw him. And later on, he would say to Thomas how he was blessed because he had already seen and believed, whereas all of us, post the uh, end of the church, eh, or end of the book of Acts, maybe the middle of Acts, have not seen the risen Christ. And yet we still believe and we walk and live by faith, not sight. But Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things than these, 51. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Don't bother building a temple, Babel. Don't bother building the pyramids. Don't bother going to a church building with a spiral. Don't bother being religious. Don't bother trying to appease the Lord by being a Torah observer. What took place back in Genesis 11 was an affront, an abomination to the Lord. And he came down personally and dealt with that. And he struck them with multiple languages, going back to speaking in tongues, Acts 1-2, and also 1 Corinthians 12-13-14. And on top of that, we believe that around the time of the Babel incident, Almighty God also changed the color of people's skins. And they would fall into one of uh, the seven continents. Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter, ye, plural, shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So it's all about the Son of Man. It's not about you or me. It's not about the Catholic Church, the Church of England, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, you name it. It's all about Jesus Christ. Salvation has always been found in Jesus Christ, not in a church. And yet, I am perplexed when I think about the Catholic Church. And they have this uh, course called the RCIA. And you can Google it to find out more about it. And it basically consists of spending anywhere up to a year indoctrinating, briefing, educating wannabe Catholics as to what they should believe. And they go along to their Mass or their church every Sunday, and when the Mass has finished, they all stay back 30, 40, sometimes 50 minutes. I read a blog this morning <coughs> of a woman whose husband is doing the RCIA, and she said she is sick and tired of having to wait in the car for two and a half hours uh, every uh, Sunday, every time the church service finishes, the Mass is finished, old hubby is uh, staying around in church for two and a half hours waiting for the priest to finish the RCIA. And she said, what is going on? 
Some of my other friends, she says, are or have been rushed through the RCIA. He's been doing this for six months, she said. Other blogs were saying that some of these RCIA courses are running up to 12 months. You can be fast-tracked into the Foreign Office. You can be fast-tracked into the State Department much quicker than becoming a Catholic, RCIA. And here's the thing. Let's say you are a convert to Catholicism. Let's say you want to become a Catholic. You have to go through the RCIA, right, initiation, and you can't take communion until you are confirmed, and you can't really be a Catholic. You're not a Catholic until you are confirmed. So strictly speaking, if you were to die pre-finishing the RCIA, you're lost, based on Catholic teachings. And therefore, according to that uh, statement, you don't go to heaven, do you? You don't go to purgatory because you haven't been officially made a Catholic. Only a bishop can confirm you. And only the priest can transubstantiate the Lord Jesus Christ, which makes him a magician, makes him God. Going back to what the Mormons believe, as God is, man once was, and as man uh, is, or as man uh, is now, he will one day become God. And they believe that with a straight face. But here's the thing, go back to Acts of the Apostles. You've got people hearing the gospel, believing, being baptized like straight away. Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 16, the Philippian jailer, being baptized like straight away, and breaking bread, like straight away. There's no RCIA in the book of Acts. There's no four, five, six month delay. There's no, well, we, can, no, we need to teach you what we believe, like the apostles. <coughs> they believed, were baptized, and broke bread straight away. Go to uh, Psalm 138. So, you say, what's it all about, James? Well, it's about power, it's about prestige, it's about privilege, it's about need to know, it's about uh, wanting people to really uh, buy the whole package, and then once they are in the system, they don't question it, they don't leave. But it's not necessary. The RCIA isn't scripture. But again, the Catholic Church have made the statements many times over the years, and at least they are consistent, when they say that truth and tradition, or scripture and tradition, go side by side, but tradition can supersede scripture. They say that. And most Catholics are either too lazy or um, not interested in the Bible. They don't read it. And also, even if they do believe it, and even if they do read it, going back to what Leo the 13th said and Gregory the 15th, they can't interpret it for themselves. They have to check with their church what these verses mean. Now imagine this. Imagine you are doing the RCIA course and you're about to finish it, or let's say you have finished it, and you've been a Catholic for a couple of years, and you go to Mass every Sunday, and you're very religious, and you're now this uh, model convert, and you're very aggressive, you want to go around, and you do go around trying to convert people to Catholicism. <clears throat> and you say this, you say, well, there's no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. That was an old chestnut, which they preached many times, especially when my parents were being uh, raised. And they say that, of course, to 
control you, to put fear into you, because if there's no salvation outside of the Catholic Church, then that means that non-Catholics are going to go to hell, right? And if they're going to go to hell, they need to become a Catholic, right? And that was preached for centuries, up until 1965, and then it all changed. And only this morning, before I came to do this message, I got a comment left on one of my uh, videos, it may have been how to snap a Catholic out of Catholicism, and the comment said just that, how there is no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. And I thought, this guy is probably a convert, a very zealous convert, and he's uh, making the statement that Catholics made up until 40 or 50 years ago, and he would do uh, well to read the Catechism which came out in 1994, which said that Jews and Muslims can go to heaven without being Catholic. And I always feel somewhat sorry for these people, in a limited sense, you understand, because in reality they have been shortchanged. They have converted from one church, or they have converted from, say, secularism, or atheism, but most come from apostate Protestant churches. They have converted They've been rebaptized. Uh, they've been indoctrinated. They have been uh, prepped and briefed, and now they are tithing to their local Catholic church, uh, giving to CAFOD, speaking up for their newfound religion, their newfound church, and are now of the belief that again, <laughs> there's no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. When in truth, there's no salvation outside of Christ, and therefore, there's no salvation inside of the Catholic Church, and those poor old people, victims of organized religion, are then told, or they discover, if they do the research, how their church no longer believes that. Their church now teaches Omega Point. And Omega Point, if you don't know, is a Jesuit uh, catchphrase, and you can read about that on our website. Patrick wrote five articles on the Jesuits the year before last, maybe in six parts, I can't quite remember, but he went very thoroughly through the Jesuits and their system of beliefs, known as the Society of Jesus. And these Catholic converts, some of them are very zealous, very fired up, and sometimes you will see them on television or on the radio, are really quite shocked to discover that their church teaches there is salvation outside of their church as well. And like I say, Muslims can go to heaven without being a Catholic, Jews and others. And if I was somebody who spent six months doing the RCIA course, I would feel conned. I would feel like I'd been cheated. I'd be angry. And I think I'd be justified in being so. Psalm 138, Psalm 138, look at verse 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will sing praise unto the one true God in the presence of false gods, meaning I'm going to mock them. I'm going to praise God with all of the wickedness all around me going on, going back to Elijah and the Baalites. And yet, can you imagine a Catholic priest standing up today? He claims to be apostolic, doesn't he? He claims to be a part of the one true church, doesn't he? And standing up, and mocking Allah, of course you can't, or Buddha, of course you can't, or socialism, 
or communism or the Freemasons or the Illuminati or evolution or Darwinism. Of course you can't. But David did. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. He's put his word above all his name. That is tremendous. And yet if you find people that claim to be King James Bible believers or seminaries that claim to be King James Bible believers, they don't believe that verse for one moment. And they will get people through their front doors and they will say, yes, we believe in the inerrant, infallible, inspired Bible, 66 books, so on and so forth. And then you arrive at seminary and you pay your fees, your subs, and within five minutes of arriving, they stand up and they start to make fun of the King James Bible. Going back to those poor Catholic converts that have gone through the entire RCIA, uh, the RCIA ritual, and now they are very proud of themselves. They feel they are one of the enlightened ones. That's what the Illuminati means, enlightened ones. We are part of the one true church, quote-unquote. Only we are going to go to heaven. That's what they believe, or officially anyway. Only to be told that their church no longer believes that. And they feel deceived and conned. And a poor man or woman who goes to a Bible seminary, not quite sure why women go to Bible seminaries, but leave that for now. Within first few minutes of arriving, they start to take this book apart. I will praise thee with my whole heart. That's pretty difficult, by the way, if not impossible. But David's intention was uh, well-meaning. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I'd love to see somebody do that today. I would have loved to have seen that back in 7-7-2005, I would love to have seen Billy Graham get up in the Washington Cathedral after the terrorist atta uh, attack back in 2001. I wasn't even saved then, by the way. I wasn't even born again then. And it would have been great to have seen Graham. I watched it on television, like most people did and do just what David is speaking about here and preach how there's only salvation found in Jesus Christ and if you don't have the Son, you haven't got life. But it never happens, of course. I worship toward thy holy temple in the context. Uh, Jerusalem, of course, on the earth. This will also feed into the new earth where the Jews are going to be resurrected, saved Jews. They get the new earth, of course. And Christ rules and reigns on the new earth and the church gets new Jerusalem. And that also is kicked against. And people say this, well, the thousand year reign of Christ is false. This is what they say. And they say that the rapture is a Catholic invention. Once again, giving the Jesuits and the Catholics far too much credit. And don't misunderstand me. The Jesuits are very powerful, as are the Illuminati and the Freemasons. But they're not God. They're not God. They didn't write the Bible. Satan is limited. Again, going back to why Jesus Christ spoke in parables. Only Almighty God, Father, Son and Spirit are omnipotent, omniscient and omnipresent. For thou hast, past tense, magnified thy word above all thy name. So, Almighty God has magnified his word 
above his own name. Now, how about that? And Catholics still say, well, that's all very well, they say, but it could be a mistranslation. It could be a corruption. It may not be in the best manuscripts. And straight away, they are undermining your faith in the scripture. You don't really believe in Genesis 1, 2 and 3, do you? You don't really believe in a talking snake, do you? You don't really believe that people lived seven, eight, nine hundred years long, do you? You don't really believe in this or that, do you? And you say, yes, absolutely. And they laugh at you. They laugh at you. And you turn around and say to these same people, you don't really believe in John chapter 6, do you? When Jesus Christ said he was the bread of life, you think he was a literal loaf of bread, do you? Of course not. But they believe that he was offering his literal body in a sense of people having to eat his body and drink his blood. And they say this, say, well, he never, he never called him back. John 6, 6, 6, many of his disciples walked no more with him. And they said, there you are, you see. He allowed them to, he allowed them to go south. He didn't run after them and say, hey guys, come back. I was speaking figuratively. Yeah, but how about John chapter 2? When they thought he was speaking about the temple. He doesn't chase them back or chase after them and say, hey guys, come on back. I was speaking figuratively. Or the woman at the well. She thinks he's speaking about water, like H2O. And he doesn't correct her. He doesn't say, by the way, sister, I was speaking figuratively. He leaves her in unbelief. He leaves her uncertain of what he is speaking about. He left the Jews, John chapter 2, in unbelief. He didn't explain it to them because it wasn't for them. John chapter 6, those that left him were never of him. Had they been of us, they would have stayed with us, but they went out from us. Uh, John chapter 2, because they were not any of us. So that argument doesn't go anywhere. But what do you do? You're now born again. Or let's say you are a Catholic. Not born again, of course. But let's say you are a Catholic. Let's say you are a Protestant. Let's say you are very religious. And you've done the RCIA course, or you've done the Alpha course, also known as the Alpha Curse. And your church now tells you that only your church has the truth. Again, quote-unquote, no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. Only the Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, what have you, have the real truth, so stick with us kind of a thing. And then you come across this verse. You're blown away, aren't you? One more time. But thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So Almighty God tells you that his word is above his own name. Keep that in mind. Go to Isaiah 45. Isaiah uh, 45. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Dear Catholics, if you read the Bible, you get time knocked off purgatory. And by the way, they then go on to say, but not all Catholics are expected to read the Bible. In other words, just trust us. Just trust us. We wouldn't lie to you, would we? <laughs> and these Catholics, in their millions all over the world, are now <coughs> stuck. What do we do? On the one hand, we are being promised time off purgatory. And every Catholic or most Catholics, if they are honest with themselves, are fearful of going to purgatory. 
and yet at the same time they are told that they aren't expected to read the Bible and they are told that they can't even interpret the Bible for themselves. So here's the thing, I didn't get back to this point, here's the thing, let's say you just converted to the RCIA, excuse me, and you've been a Catholic for two years and you read that verse from Psalm 138, 1 and 2 and you can't work it out, it doesn't really make any sense to you, although it does make sense to you. Are you honestly telling us, those of us which are saved, ex-Catholics, that you can't work it out yourself, you can't interpret it yourself, you have to go and ask your priest, and yet, do you have to ask your priest what to do on your wedding anniversary? Do you have to ask your priest what to do when it comes to which job to apply for? what colour shirt to buy, whether or not to go on holiday this year, of course you wouldn't. And yet when it comes to the Word of God, which people bled and died for, like William Tyndale and others, number one, you can't believe it without checking with the church. In fact, it may have been Leo X who said that anybody who had their own opinion on the script in the church was mentally insane. How about that? And yet, when it comes to family affairs, financial affairs, personal affairs, private affairs, you make your own minds up, don't you? Of course you do. But Rome want to control you, you see. They want to control you when it comes to the scripture. They want to control what goes in and what goes out. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. Look at 23. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow every tongue shall swear look at 22 look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for i am god and there is none else salvation is in god salvation is in christ not in church 22 again Look unto me, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden and tired and weary, so on and so forth. Come unto me, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, so on and so forth. Look unto me, God is speaking, and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. So Jew <coughs> and Gentile, I am God, and there is none else. One God, one Saviour one faith, one baptism, one book, and as a Trinitarian this is no problem whatsoever when it comes to understanding what is going on. In fact, just this morning as I was getting ready to come to the open-air pulpits, a nice email arrived from a couple in Australia thanking me for my last few videos and saying uh, James, as you prepare for your forthcoming video on the Trinity, uh, please take care and be uh, careful as to what you uh, say, so on and so forth. And they gave me some quotes from the uh, Catechism, or a source from the Catholic Church, about the Trinity. I've seen it before. And again, the Catholic Church, as powerful as they are, as wicked as they are, as dangerous 
as they are, can't take all of the credit for everything. Going back to even in false religions, you will find truths. David, first Kings, would quote a pagan source. Paul, Titus chapter 1, and I read it last week, would quote a pagan source. I guess they shouldn't have done that, right? Because those sources came from unsaved people. I guess we shouldn't believe in the virgin birth because the Muslims teach that. Do you see how dangerous and ridiculous such a statement and a belief is? Just because false religions and unsaved people occasionally tell you something doesn't make it so. I remember having a conversation relayed to me uh, by a woman who's now a grandmother and she told me this, she said when she was a young woman she went to a very middle-class Catholic school in London and it was run by the nuns and she said this to me, she said as she was growing up this very well-to-do uh, Catholic school like I say she was asking questions and on one occasion she was told by one of her nuns that nobody knows who wrote the Bible so don't waste time reading it or examining it and nobody really understands the Trinity so don't try and uh, get your head around it those two statements did a lot of damage to that young woman and she's now a grandmother agnostic I think it's probably fair to say based on what she heard as a young girl by a so-called expert an ordained or consecrated nun I should probably say in the Catholic Church poisoned her young mind and this is the sad reality and I want to say that because I think it's almost fair to say that officially the Church of Rome believe in the resurrection the second coming deity virgin birth and other uh, biblical truths but unofficially unofficially I don't think they really believe in any of those things going back to Omega point going back to what the Jesuits are teaching and as far as I know they haven't been uh, reprimanded for what they teach the current Pope is a Jesuit and that woman a young woman many years ago heard that statement and that pretty much ruined her when it came to having just a tiny minute level of faith so officially they believe in what I just uh, mentioned but it's my belief unofficially they don't really believe in any of that unofficially it's about Mary the mass and the priest like Simon Magnus as the magician uh, pretty much controlling his local church it's about power you see and if you can control someone through power you've got people to do pretty much what you want I have sworn by myself 23 again the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness leading up to inspiration Old Testament prophets New Testament apostles and shall not return Paul says that whatever you do doesn't return void that unto me every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess so the Lord is speaking and that verse in and of itself is wonderful and praise the Lord for that but then Paul picks this up go to Philippians and many times when you find uh, a verse cited 
in the New Testament, it has further clarification, going back to how the Scripture interprets the Scripture. And people say this, they say, well, James, there are many denominations, which one has the truth? And I've heard figures of around 30,000 uh, denominations. That figure, incidentally, is incorrect. There aren't 30,000 denominations. There probably aren't even 300 denominations, not really. What it comes down to is this, that what God has allowed people to do is to worship him in different ways. We're not all clones. We're not all robots. And if you're born again, if you are saved, and if you are King James, Bible believer, going back to Psalm 138, verse 2, you have great liberty in the Lord. Great liberty. And people don't like that. People are jealous of that. Rome doesn't like that. Even the Protestant system, known as Christendom, doesn't like that. The JWs don't believe in truth outside of their uh, kingdom halls. And they teach that all truths come via the teaching elders. And the Mormons also have a similar belief. And they say that only truths are relayed via the Twelve and their senior apostle. But if you're saved, and if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you have liberty to worship the Lord with others, if you wish or not, on a Sunday or not. After the blood of Christ, after uh, becoming a Bible-believing Christian, you have great liberty. So yes, there are many denominations, probably too many, if the truth were known, but if those people are all saved, then as far as the Lord is concerned, that's okay. What days they meet to break bread or not, and how they evangelize, modes of baptisms and stuff like that is all secondary. So as far as I'm concerned, that pictures a level of diversity in the body of Christ which isn't found in the Church of Rome. Titus 2.9 Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. One God, one Saviour. Who died on the cross? Was it the Father? Was it the Spirit? Or was it the Son? It was the Son of God, of course. And here Paul picks up Isaiah 45, and he says how God has highly exalted him, and on top of that has given him a name, which is above every name. There is power in the name of the king, going back to King David, King Solomon, and King James. And I've just finished my documentary about King James of Scotland, six of Scotland, first of England. A very interesting man, spoke multiple languages, and when James spoke, there was power. <coughs> what does it say in Ecclesiastes? Where the word of a king is, there is power. King Jesus, highly exalted, that at the name of Jesus, great white throne judgment, every knee shall bow, and also picture in the judgment seats of Christ, of things in heaven, the redeemed, things in earth, like the new earth, Matthew 24, going into 25, and things under the earth, like hell. 
another doctrine which is kicked against. You don't really believe in hell, do you? They say. Don't you know that hell is Sheol? Don't you know that hell is the grave? Don't you know that hell is Gehenna? And they try and get out of the awful reality that hell is forever. Again, it's my belief that those that kick against the deity of Christ, the deity of the Spirit of God, the Trinity of God, and the rapture of the church, and the millennial reign of Christ, and the King James Bible, a good number of those people, not all, but a good number of those people are Sabbath keepers, blabbering in tongues, once saved, you can lose your salvation, feast days, some are ecumenical, some refuse to call the Lord Jesus, they call him Yeshua, or Yahweh, and they have just lost the plot, as far as I am concerned. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, what a great verse, to affirm his deity, to the glory of God the Father. So these verses make the statement that first of all, God Almighty, from creation to the crucifixion, and from the crucifixion right up until the end of the millennial reign, leading into the, uh, or leading up to the great white throne judgment, has put his word above his name, because his word is his and ours, or his and our final authority. Not churches, or a church, not you, nor I, it is the scripture. It is the scripture that is the final authority, because only the scripture is inspired. Only the scripture is and was inspired, and it's by the scripture that you'll be judged. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, including the angelic world and things in the earth, like new earth, for the saved Jews that are resurrected, and also the uh, wonderful truth concerning uh, New Jerusalem, and things under the earth, hell fire, no purgatory, it does not exist. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Excuse me, a wasp just tried to sting me. I guess I must be doing something right. <laughs> um, going back to the abomination from Genesis 11. Let's all come together. Let's all link arms. Let's all speak with one language. That will happen when the Lord wants it to happen, like during a thousand year reign. But it won't happen before that. And people say, I appreciate what you've said, but I still think that salvation isn't just about faith in Christ alone. It's too easy. It's too easy. Or they say this, they say, that sounds like easy believism. Now, I know what that term means, easy believism. I would define that term as to say this, or to explain it this way. Easy believism is just say a prayer and you're good to go. But easy believism is never connected to faith in Christ alone. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And they stop just there. 
And they said, there you are, you see. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And they actually believe that you can save yourself somehow. Going back to my analogy that I used during our last Lord's Day service, that before you were conceived, before I was conceived, I had no say as to the skin, the colour of my skin, my sexuality, or my uh, country of origin. I had no say in any of those things. It was all dependent upon my parents, and the same would be true of my salvation. The source of my physical birth goes back to my parents, and the source of my spiritual birth goes back to Almighty God. Work out your own salvation with fear <coughs> and trembling. And old King David would say how he wanted the Lord to restore unto him the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirits. Psalm uh, 51, 12. So salvation comes from the Lord. Peter says to make your calling and election sure. But this piece of scripture, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and that gets cited, and people just stop there. Look at the next verse. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He will start it off, he will complete it. And I'll give you one more verse and close from Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He has begun it, he will complete it, because it's all about him, not about us. I want to read it again, verse 6. That he, almighty God, which hath begun a good work in you, like the source of the new birth, will perform it, complete it, until the day of Jesus Christ. So take all of these verses together, and you've got almighty God, putting his word, Old Testament, New Testament, above his name, meaning it's your final authority. You're saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saved by receiving the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You receive what he has done for you. But to grow, or to have a basis, to have a final authority, it's a scripture. It's not you. I remember some years ago doing some street work and this guy was in our town, he's long dead, and he was a communist. I'm not saying that to insult him, that's what he was. He was a bomber uh, during World War II. He was an American and he came over to the UK back in the 1940s, married a uh, British woman and every Saturday he was in our town walking around. He was very anti-war, which is fine. And I used to watch him and listen to him. And sometimes we would get into heated disagreements. Always respectful, but they were heated. And he said this to me. He said, I don't believe that Joseph Stalin had the gulags, that people were being executed. I believe it's all propaganda. And I said to him, well, can we go to the local library I want you to read some books that I've been uh, looking at. And I gave him a title of a book. He wouldn't go, he was in denial. And around that time, another elderly gentleman happened to be walking past our little group. And he heard what was going on. 
and it turned out this man had been born in Ukraine and had been imprisoned back in the 1940s in one of the gulags and I said please come over and talk to our friend here because he is a gulag denier and he said to me I don't want to come over I don't want to cause any problems and I thought fair enough he's probably scarred I mean he spent time in the gulags and survived can you believe it but that conversation and there were many conversations with that old uh, American long dead now like I say denying the gulag is very reminiscent of people that are resurrection deniers and Trinity deniers and rapture deniers and the thousand-year reign of Christ deniers and King James deniers and they push back they don't want to believe it receive it they also mock it and they like I say will say well the Catholics did this or the Jesuits did that and sometimes that is true and I spent most of my life researching the Roman Catholic Church and I don't uh, hold back when it comes to uh, speaking out against their evils but they didn't write the Bible the Bible was written by saved Jews when Jesus Christ arrived you had three quarters of the Bible already in circulation and when he died and went back to heaven for 10 years or thereabouts you had the Apostles using the Old Testament and also repeating and reminding themselves about the uh, truths that Christ told them like oral traditions which would later be written down in the scripture and I say that because people still push back on the scripture they mock the scripture they say but you can't trust the scripture it's being corrected you have to trust Holy Mother Church quote-unquote and going back to those poor victims of the RCIA course or those that do the Alpha curse come along and say well we've now passed our course we've got the certificates we've got our badges our stars and yes I've been somewhat facetious and then they are told but there's truths outside of your church out of your systems and you've really been deceived so on and so forth so the reason why I said that concerning the elderly American is because he is a uh, good example I think of people who are in denial who are rejecting biblical truths and sometimes using very fallacious and wooden arguments to get out of believing something which is so simple you can't trust the rapture you can't trust the millennium you can't trust Sunday or you shouldn't be meeting on Sunday the early church met on Saturday the Jewish wing of the early church yes met on Saturday and yes Paul was taking vows and going to the temple and shaving uh, his head uh, to reach out to the Jews to the Jews he was a Jew to the Gentiles he was a Gentile he was all things to all people that he may win some to the Lord but for the Gentile wing of the early church they met on Sunday not Saturday they met on Sunday because again Sunday it's the first day of the week Christ comes up out of the tomb on a Sunday and the day of Pentecost took place on a Sunday the early church met on Sunday had collections prayer services so on and so forth because that is in memory of Christ's death burial 
and resurrection. And I don't care what the Church of Rome says. I don't care what the Seventh-day Adventists say. I don't care what anti-rapture people say. I don't care what anti-King James people say. I don't care what anti-millennial people say. I don't care what anti-Trinitarians say. Those people can say what they want, do what they want, believe what they want. If they don't want to uh, acknowledge the truth, that's up to them. And like I said last time, strictly speaking, it is possible for a saved person to fall from grace, uh, Galatians chapter 5, and be in a state of uh, legalism, if you will, or carnality, if you will, and still be saved, but they are now out of fellowship with the Lord. So quite a bit of uh, ground covered over the past one hour and something I can't quite make out. The glare is quite strong, but I want to, if I may, uh, continue to hammer home these truths because as we get nearer to the return of the Lord, rapture for the church, second coming for the world, and yes, there's a difference, you're going to see more people kicking against these truths, attacking these truths, and also seeking to further divide the body of Christ. Just because we are one in Christ, uh, John chapter 17, just because we are spiritually in heaven now, Ephesians chapter 2, just because uh, nothing or anyone, anything can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, uh, Romans chapter 8, doesn't mean that we can't be divided here and now. Splits, schisms, which you find over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, and also Paul and Barnabas would have a huge bust up, uh, Acts 13, Acts 14 or thereabouts, and they're both saved, but they couldn't agree on something which is pretty important, and they went their own way, and they were separated for a period of time. doesn't mean that we can't also have divisions and splits today, but the problem is it can go beyond that. And these splits, these divisions, can cause a lot of bitter resentments. And friends can fall out with each other over these things. And family, uh, family relations can also suffer when it comes to biblical truths. So what I don't want to do is add flame to the fire. Uh, I want to try and put out some of the flames, if I can, and try and reach out, if it's possible, and unite the body of Christ, which is splintered, which is divided, and that will never probably uh, completely cease from being a reality. But what I want to do, if I can, is try and deal with some of the heretics, some of the heresies, some of the divisions, and get people's minds back on the Scripture and the Saviour. He is glorified when we glorify Him. He is honoured when we honour Him, and we have that perfect peace in our hearts when we walk with him, when we worship him in spirit and in truth. But if we kick against it, like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we find ourselves in schisms and groups within groups, and if we continue down that uh, road, we end up following such and such, which is not what the Lord wants. One church, one baptism, one Lord. It's all about Him. If people could get that straight and clear in their minds, they'd be greatly blessed and would never be uh, tossed to and fro 
And on that statement, may I sign out and wish you every blessing and happiness. And please, again, join me this coming Sunday, uh, Lord willing, when I prepare to record Exodus chapter 13, 11 a.m. UK time. And may the Lord bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.